Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Grok Science Show. My name is Samantha Thomas, and today Dr. Robert Kreese, professor of philosophy at Stony Brook University, tells us how a basic understanding of quantum physics can give us a rich source of metaphors and vocabulary to help us understand the world. My name is uh, Robert Kreese. I'm a professor of philosophy at Stony Brook University, um, and I am the <clears throat> excuse me co-author of a book called The Quantum Moment, how Planck, Bohr, Einstein, and Heisenberg taught us to love uncertainty, which just uh, appeared a few weeks ago. And my co-author is, um, is Alfred Scharf Goldhaber, who is a, um, a physicist. And uh, he and I have been teaching uh, a course together for about six years at Stony Brook and um, the, uh, on the subject of the book. And the subject of the book is uh, basically, um, well, I mean... Um, You've heard of the phrase quantum leap, right? Of course, yeah. Have you heard of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle? I have. Have you heard of Schrodinger's cat? Yes, the famous Schrodinger's cat. So you're a physicist? Of course not. <laughs> well, that that was what intrigued us, is that just about everybody knows, is familiar with the... Um, a certain amount of quantum of the vocabulary and imagery of quantum mechanics, um, but how could that be? How could these terms that began in this remote corner of physics have um, migrated into the cultural mainstream so that you see them um, not only in coffee cups and uh, and T-shirts, but um, you also read about them in philosophy texts and you see them in novels and so forth. So, so do you have ideas about how that happened? <laughs> I'm sure you do. Oh. Well, oh, actually, yeah. I mean, thanks to um, ProQuest historical newspapers and um, and Google search engines, it's easy to track when each of these terms and phrases first came into into popular use. Hmm. So, the uh, just for instance, um, quantum leap, which is the earliest uh, term, um, came. It wasn't used by Bohr himself in his early description of the. The, the atom, but but it became used by other scientists in the late teens, um, and then newspaper uh, quantum leap referred to the, the the fact that in a in a hydrogen atom, the um, electrons go from one state to another without enter, any intervening transition. So, for instance, it's, so it's not like the solar system, say, where you can have or or uh, orbits around the Earth <clears throat> or the Moon, where you can have a satellite go from one orbit to another, um, and it will it, it takes a series of intermediate steps. But in an atom, the electrons jump from one orbit to another immediately. So it's the um, it, it, the phrase quantum leap refers to uh, a tiny discontinuous leap. And by the early 20s, that was being picked up by journalists and newspapers and authors uh, to refer to, I mean, remember this was a very mechanical age. There were lots of devices around like uh, ticker tapes and telegraphs and, and analog clocks that, that, that had tiny discontinuous transitions. And the phrase quantum leap uh, became a good metaphor to apply to those kinds of devices. So, and then slowly the metaphor began being revised and applied to bigger and bigger transitions until now you have it applied to things like um, like cruise ships. The, the largest cruise ship being built is called Quantum of the Seas. And uh, the, the, the quantum has been used in other uh, contexts as well, Quantum Leap in other contexts as well. Like, uh, uh, have you seen the TV show Quantum Leap? No, I haven't. 
Well, there's a TV show called Quantum Leap. Mm -hmm. um, but now the phrase usually refers to large uh, continuous transitions. So that's one example. And, each, and, and our book studies each of these ways in which these, these terms from uh, quantum physics came to be applied to, um, uh, came to arrive into ordinary language. I see. Uh, so you, you do often in your book contrast um, quantum mechanics to classical mechanics. And I kind of wonder if um, you feel that quantum mechanics provides maybe more useful metaphors or, um, or is, there, is there a reason why people seem to find more metaphors in quantum mechanics than, than other areas of physics? Well, that, that's really interesting because what often happens is, is that terms arrive into everyday language as metaphors, and then we forget that they're metaphors. I mean, the, the Newtonian mechanics had a huge impact on, on many areas of, of, uh, of everyday life, on, on education, on philosophy, on art. Um, and uh, and that now it's become sort of second nature. The notion, I mean, we've, we've grown up in worlds where where uh, that are full of instruments like spinometers and accelerometers and things that remind us that, that there are any number of, of, of continuous transitions taking place. And so suddenly at the beginning, very beginning of the 20th century, you, you, uh, quantum mechanics is, is developed and it, it says the world is a, is a lot different than that. And so that, that was the beginning of this migration of these, of these terms from, from this corner of physics to, to apply to, uh, to everyday life. We're familiar nowadays with, uh, I, I mean, the, the, the world of Newtonian mechanics was a continuous world. It was a smooth world. It was a, move, a world of, of uh, continuous scale so that the same laws applied to one area as to another and to one scale and to another. But nowadays, the modern world is, um, is more quantum, you might say. It's, it's, uh, we're familiar with the idea that there are there, there are, are uh, the, the world is is uh, is often discontinuous. That you, that, that there are leaps and abrupt transitions, and and so it gives a a uh, quantum mechanics provides a language that novelists and writers have appropriated to to uh, describe this. Uh, John Updike was one of them, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think you reference him a lot. Is um, so so the the discontinuity that is kind of forwarded by quantum mechanics, and maybe also the um the uncertainty or the incorporation of probabilities in a lot of quantum mechanics laws? Um, well, uh, yes, it provided, I mean, to, to a certain extent, uh, that we have the same, the, the human beings have the same issues as before, but quantum mechanics, um, uh, life is uncertain. Um, there are, we can, we can live in several kinds of states at once. There, there are discontinuous transitions. But what, but what the language and imagery of quantum mechanics do is give us a new vocabulary for talking about these old issues. Mm -hmm. In a certain sense, it's kind of like, um, uh, new bottles for old wine. I mean, it, it, it gives us to, to, um, and, and by the way, I should, um, I, sh I should say that, that a lot of times these terms are used incorrectly or, um, in a way that's that's uh, wacky, um, and part of what our book is about is talking about how you can tell the difference between the two. How can you tell the difference? Um, well, you know, the New Scientist magazine. I'm going a little bit off the track here, but I'll get I'll, I'll get back. I think the New Scientist magazine has a term called fruit loopery, <laughs> which is a quite vivid term to apply to um, the wacky. 
uh, or nonsensical use of of scientific vocabulary, uh, usually by politicians or by um, advertisers trying to um, establish a certain kind of authority for their project, a product, uh, trying to to you know suggest that that maybe the authority of science is behind it. So the question is, well, how, what's the difference between um, how can you tell the difference? How can you tell the difference between um, a metaphor, uh, use of quantum language in everyday discourse that is um, that's that's wrong-headed, uh, or one that's that's um, what's the word, or or, or or one that really helps and is useful and, and meaningful. And um, for instance, uh, Updike, Updike's characters often use. Uh, re- refer to themselves, their feelings, using quantum vocabulary, and um, they're under no illusion that they're subatomic particles. They're under no illusion that they are um, that they are being scientists and doing so, but they're just trying to make sense of their lives, and they see this as a uh, the the these patterns in in um, quantum language and vocabulary as um, as helping them make sense of their lives uh, better. Mm-hmm. Um, Alison Bechtel, in her in her wonderful book. Fun home um, uses the word quantum someplace uh, uh, in, in it as, as um, and it's a, it's a very eloquent um, sentence. And again, she's under no under no illusions that she's using the term scientifically. She's just trying to describe something that she um, that, that 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 she sees. So, but it's it's misused when it tries to borrow the authority of science. I mean, imagine. Um, the, the the advertisements where the scientists uh, the, the advertisements where people put on white coats and pretend they're doctors um, uh, in order to sell a product. Well, um, quantum terms and, and imagery are misused when that happens. When people try to sell products, saying this has mm-hmm. quantum properties in it. I see. Whenever, whenever you see the phrase quantum healing, it's true. <laughs> <Lupert. laughs> okay, so it's not gonna it's not gonna clear up your skin. It's not going to clear up your skin. It's not going to make you think better, as the um, as the biologists like to say. The the brain is wet and warm, and whenever you have something wet and warm, you don't have quantum effects because that destroys them. Okay. Um, so so kind of on that, um, I wonder how how good of a grip you feel that the general population has on quantum mechanics. Um, do you think that people kind of understand? its major implications, even without knowing all the math behind it? Mm, that's another interesting question. No, I don't think that they do. And you, uh, I mean, a lot of politicians, entertainers have, have referred to quantum mechanics. Uh, President Obama talked about the uncertainty principle when he was asked about why he doesn't consult his advisors more, because he said when he actually asks advisors the advice, they, they, they give him a different answer than if somebody else asked them. So um, Lady Gaga has referred to quantum mechanics, Hillary Clinton. So yeah, so they, um, but, but in the end, it's not a really good grasp. So what our book aimed to do is to, to try to tell the stories of how these quantum concepts were discovered, uh, and how then how they migrated into popular language. So that it, it, in order to allow people to make a little bit more sense about where these terms came from and what they mean and and uh, when they can be useful. So um, one thing I thought was interesting that you actually mentioned in your book was that um, 
quantum mechanics has actually been around for a while. It's been almost a century uh, since it was first kind of proposed and started to be incorporated. Um, but it's still treated as kind of this new exotic thing by um, a lot of people, by artists, writers, and, and all of us, really. Um, why do you think that is? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, for, for the first, uh, uh, first about two decades, quantum mechanics, or uh, almost three decades, quantum mechanics um, was almost unknown to the general public. Um, it was only when the uncertainty principle appeared in 1927 and 1928 that, that, the, 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 that uh, uh, popular science writers began to write about it, and it, became, it, it was, uh, came to the attention of the, of the general public. But since then, as you've said, it's, it's almost as if each generation discovers the, the weirdnesses of quantum mechanics anew. Um, and I think it's because the ordinary world is Newtonian. We're familiar with continuous movements and the same laws applying everywhere. And um, but quantum mechanics is, says the world is, is not like that. It's it's um, it's it's mysterious compared to the the um, everyday world. I mean, to a certain extent, Newtonian mechanics has a little bit of that too. Have you ever seen the um, the feather drop uh, experiment that was done on the moon um. when um, Commander Scott on one of the Apollo flights uh, dropped a hammer and a feather mm. at the same time um, on the surface of the moon. And the point is, when you do that on the surface of the moon, they both hit the ground at the same time. <laughs> um, it's it's real. It's amazing. I mean, I must have seen that a hundred times. It's just so remarkable to see something happen that's so different from our ordinary experience. Um, and that's Newtonian mechanics. That's Galilean mechanics. And to, to a certain extent, uh, quantum mechanics is like that. It says that the world is a lot different than the way that it is, and uh, than the way that it appears to us. And so the um, it's uh, uh, and, and and so we're fascinated by it. The way that we're fascinated by any kind of uh, alien culture. What. Um... What do you think is the most disturbing part to people? Like, what do, what is the hardest to swallow? Mm, I think the hardest to follow is the notion of the wave function. That is, that there's certain things, uh, and this is what's addressed by the image of Schrodinger's cat. That is, quantum mechanics describes certain phenomena as being in an intermediate state of reality and it could be realized in one way or another, and those two ways are incompatible. And uh, the, the, the ways that they're realized depend upon our choices as to how we're going to observe them. Hmm. So uh, that, in a way, is the weirdest. Uh, and, and, the no and the associated notion of entanglement, that is, that, that you can, um, uh, that, that certain states are entangled and that they can, uh, they can become real in one way or another that are, that are, that are completely incompatible. It can turn into a particle or it can, can turn into a wave, depending on how you observe it. Hey, uh, yeah, I was wondering if you were going to bring up um, entanglement. Uh, now, that was one that was hard for even physicists to swallow. Um, can, can you kind of talk about the reaction of the physicists themselves as they were sort of developing these theories and... Um, was it the case that they were immediately accepted or was there a lot of resistance? Well, that's, that's an interesting question too. For um, a while, 
the reaction of physicists was that to try to make sense of this in everyday terms was a mistake. We could only get confused by, by doing that. Um, and in, in a way, this is called the, um, and the physicists refer to this as a, by a phrase, they say, shut up and calculate. This is the shut up and calculate interpretation of quantum mechanics. Don't try to make sense of it. It doesn't make sense, but you know how to work the equations, and that's enough. Um, and in the, um, have you seen David Kaiser's book, How the Hippies Save Physics? No, I have seen that. Uh, David Kaiser, it, it came out about two or three years ago, but David Kaiser is a historian. He's a physicist and a historian of science at MIT. And he showed how um, the uh, in, in the early days, uh, people who taught quantum mechanics made sure that uh, their students uh, at least tried to understand the meaning of what was uh, of what they were studying. But at a certain point around World War II, suddenly uh, the size of physics classes shot up by ten. Um, the uh, you had to teach bigger classes, and uh, people stopped talking about the meaning of quantum mechanics. And this had a very bad effect, um, Kaiser says, because eventually the people who began to discuss the meaning of quantum mechanics um, were uh, um, people who, in California, who had were familiar with the work of Alan Watts and uh, began to, to try to make sense of it via comparing it with Eastern mysticism. And this, is, uh, this gave rise to books like The Dancing Woolly Masters and The Tao of Physics and, and uh, people who, 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 who tried to compare the worldview of quantum mechanics with that of Eastern mysticism. So by avoiding the questions of the, the, the meaning of what was happening, um, it, it led to a particular outcome that now makes physicists cringe, which is that, that, that sometimes uh, the, 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 the view that, um, that quantum mechanics has something to do with Eastern mysticism. And uh, so what our book is trying to do is to fill in the gap that the, uh, left by that failure to to talk about the meaning of quantum mechanics. I see. And it's also, by the way, what was interesting, if we've been teaching this class for the past six years, and uh, uh, Professor Goldhaber is a physicist, I'm a philosopher, and often what we do is simply, um, I ask him questions about physics, he asks me questions about philosophy, and the class just, just uh, unfolds in that way. So are you guys kind of trailblazing this, um, this, or, or, or do you have the sense that this kind of discourse is waking up again between philosophy and physics? Well, that, that's interesting. I think there's a lot of interest in the philosophical impl implications of quantum mechanics. I mean, how, how could there not be? Um, but most of the, the sources that we found have been very technical, um, and to read them you have to either be a professional philosopher or a professional physicist. So what we tried to do was tell the story in a more accessible way by tracing how the um, how these concepts went from their origins in a remote corner of physics into the mainstream, and uh, talking about some of the intermediary intermediary um, figures like John Dewey and um, and so forth. And, and oh, uh, one more thing that I, I meant to, to mention yesterday, um, and very important here is the use that novelists have pick up, picked up uh, of this vocabulary. I mean, um, we talked about um, uh, about John Updike, but uh, I mean, many novelists have found that the quantum vocabulary is very 
uh, precise and descriptive and vivid for describing their experience of the world or the experience of the characters. So you might say that the quantum vocabulary is, has proved helpful in enabling people to grok the world, so to speak. <laughs> um, what is your favorite piece of quantum vocabulary or what's your favorite use of um, uh, what's your favorite quantum mechanics metaphor, I guess? I have several favorites, one of which is um, in Alison Bechtel's graphic memoir, um, Fun Home, in which she, um, you know, the novel is, uh, the, uh, the New York Times said it was the, the best book of 2005 or 2006, I forget which, but um, uh, in it she uses the word quantum in a very evocative and, and powerful way. She says, um, she to the fun home is about you know her own experience of coming out and of of um, uh, of, of her father's suicide. And um, she says at at one point um, there's a wonderful scene where her father takes her to New York City a few weeks after the Stonewall riots, and she writes. While I acknowledge the absurdity of claiming a connection to that mythologized, uh, mythologized flashpoint, might not a lingering vibration, a quantum particle of rebellion, still have hung in the humectant air? I think that's wonderful. That, that, that's really beautiful. So that's one of my favorites. Another one is the um, the use of the of the Schrodinger's cat image in Will Grayson. Will Grayson. Did you ever read that? I haven't. No. But you know who John Green is. He's the author of uh, The Fault in Our Stars. I do know um, him, yes. yes. And a, a few other few other novels, um, young adult novels. And in uh, Will Grayson, Will Grayson, which he co-authored, there's a scene in which two teenagers talk um, about Schrodinger's cat. Now, these two teenagers, Will and Jane, are... Um, they uh, they sort of have an ambivalent relationship. They're not quite sure how they feel about each other, and they start talking about this this image, this this image of of mixed identities, and unexpressed emotions, and so forth. And it's clear that in talking about this image, they're really not talking about the image. They're really talking about themselves. So it's kind of a surrogate speech, and um, so and and so they work out their relationship by talking about this image. And I think that's a really wonderful way of uh, of. Uh, really wonderful use of quantum vocabulary. So, what do you think? You're you're never too young to learn quantum mechanics. How old should people be? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's appropriate for these two kids because they're they're two uh, geeks. They're sort of um, out of it at, at school, and they uh, they're 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 loners, and and it's sort of appropriate that they would be that they would find this attractive and use this this particular um, imagery as a way of talking about their relationship. I mean, I'm not sure it w would work with older people, but um, <laughs> but it worked for them. Do you have a least favorite? Do you have like a worst quantum mechanics moment? Um, so, uh, quantum jumping, for one, the idea that we can actually jump from one world into another and discover our equivalent in another universe. Um, that That's horrific. <laughs> horrific or inaccurate? Horrific. I mean, it's well, it's 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 in, it's not only inaccurate, but it's 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 a brazen attempt to make money. Okay. Um, I see. I wouldn't know. I mean, that could very well be a postulate of quantum mechanics, and I wouldn't know. <laughs> the idea 
that Everett came up with to express the parallel worlds uh, in the parallel worlds view is that one way of looking at quantum mechanics, uh, the the uh, quantum mechanics is that you can have a wave function for the entire universe in which many possibilities are unfolding simultaneously. So there are many possible worlds, many parallel worlds, if you will. Now, the um, the starting point for this is that you can't possibly go from one world to another. Now, um, that's just the scientific ground zero. But in science fiction, um, science fiction writers have made um, have uh, have made this into a wonderful plot device by imagining, by fantasizing that you can travel from one world to another and see yourself in another universe, a slightly different version of yourself. Um, but anyway, so so it's it's a science fiction device. But the notion, but I really hit the ceiling when I hear people claim that with by giving them just a little bit of money, they will tell you how to actually travel from one parallel universe to the other. <laughs> I'd pay a couple dollars for that. <laughs> I'd pay a couple dollars. I'd pay a lot of money if it were true. Um, yeah, I think maybe um, people are are surprisingly familiar with Einstein's initial objections to quantum mechanics, and I... I just wonder whether that and that there is some kind of sense of, you know, is this really just some crazy um, mathematical construction that that physicists made because they they haven't really found the answer yet? Um, maybe like Einstein kind of felt that people hadn't really found the answer yet, but um, but it, yeah, it doesn't sound that way. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. But Einstein was an honest objector. He knew that the results of quantum mechanics were true. He just thought that with a little bit more, um, with, with with more examination, we might be able to figure out a way to restore um, Newtonian Newtonian determinism. He, he was uncomfortable, but he wasn't a de- he was not a science denier. He did not deny that science mechanics was true. He just denied that it was. Um, complete. You can have a map that's true. It will tell you how to get from one part of the earth to the other, but the map may not be complete. It may leave out some things. And maybe if we learned those things, would the map would look different than it does now. So that's that, that that's a good way of saying uh, that's the right way to say it is that is that Einstein did not deny that quantum mechanics was true, he denied that it was complete. And people must still feel that it may be incomplete. Some do. I mean, there, there, there is some. There are people in the. Um, well, there, there are few area, areas of controversy where, where people are working now. One of which is on the border between classical, uh, the classical and the quantum territories. Um, and we mentioned this a little bit in the book. That um, you know, what, what is the, the the border between the classical realm and the quantum realm? Does it look like the border between the United States and Canada, where there's a sharp line and suddenly you cross from one to the other and and uh, suddenly you're in classical territory? Or is it more vague? Is it more like the, the boundary between, say, a plain or a valley and a mountain range in which you have steps and and, and um, there's more, uh, the, the, the boundary is less distinct? You know, what is, what is it like? So that's a subject of controversy. 
how do you suggest that people educate themselves about quantum mechanics and and start to kind of think about it in terms of their worldview? Well, um, that's an interesting question. And, and in a way, the, the book was our effort to answer that question. One way is to look at the stories, not only of how these concepts were developed, but also how they came into the popular mainstream. Uh, you might compare books, you, you might compare writing about science to writing about, say, uh, writing about a city, say, writing about New York City. Um, if you're going to write um, about New York City, what kind of book are you going to write? If you're writing it for insiders, people who live in the city, you're going to focus on things like parking and, and you know, garbage collection and, and voting and things like that. But what if you're writing for new people who, who just moved to the city and you'd focus on other things? Or what if you were writing for tourists, um, people who are just coming for the day or coming for a week? So depending upon your audience, you're going you're gonna to mention different kinds of things. You know, for the tourists, you're going to mention the Empire State Building and the museums and, and uh, Fifth Avenue and so forth. But, but you, you wouldn't do that to people who are going to stay for um, – uh, but you'd write about other things to people who are going to stay for a longer period of time. So, so what the, how you present physics and quantum mechanics to the public – is going to depend on the uh, is going to depend on the audience that you're writing for. Let me finish by asking you about a scenario that you kind of play out in the book, um, which is a world where quantum mechanics was never discovered and never developed. <laughs> um, what would the world be like? Would we all be sleeping easier knowing the world follows logical Newtonian mechanics? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, it was, um, um, I don't know. I'd sleep uneasy in a totally deterministic world. I think I sleep easier. Yeah, I think I sleep easier in a world that has areas of a causality in it. But the, the, um, <laughs> I get unhappy with too much order. <laughs> You're probably a minority there. <laughs> probably, but I, I knew that already. Um, but it, uh, yes, because I, I remember that moment very, uh, very sharply. There was, we had just given a presentation. We had just finished the manuscript of the book. We gave a presentation to the Humanities Institute at Stony Brook. And uh, one questioner said, you know, oh, all these metaphors are really interesting. But what if but but what if you got rid of them? Wouldn't poets and writers and philosophers have other uh, find other terms to express what they're trying to say? And so the challenge was: what did is quantum mechanic is this vocabulary that we talk about in the book superfluous or not? And our answer is no, it's not superfluous. It really does allow give us a better grip on the world, and which which we hope to, to illustrate by the references to. Uh, um, Updike and, and other authors. Again, that was Dr. Robert Kreese, professor of philosophy at Stony Brook University and author of the 2014 book, The Quantum Moment. That's all from us today. Join us next week for more from the world of science and technology. Until then, keep an eye out for quantum principles hanging around in your own life, and of course, keep on grokking.